It's Baby Crazy, I'm Lee Schneider. Krista Rizzo is a certified transformational life coach. About nine years ago, she started a blog titled, Why Am I Yelling? At the time, she was the mother of a five-year-old and pregnant with a second child. She realized that there was a lot to learn about all the different styles of parenting. Turns out, no surprise, right? There isn't a single right way to be a parent. So where does that leave us? Confused? Let's shine some light on this. Krista is going to share some of the knowledge and advice she gives to clients on the podcast. Here's my conversation with Krista Rizzo. Hey, Krista, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So when you're a new mom or dad, you try to read all the books you can. You ask around. You get as much advice as you can. And yet, you can never really prepare As I've said in my intro, and as we've discussed before, you quickly learn that there's no real right way to do this. So as a new parent of whatever age, how do you cope with that? What do you tell clients? When I sit down with my clients and we start talking about parenting styles and what to expect and things like that, I often tell them to use books and blogs and things like that as reference, but not necessarily as their go-to thing to live by, like their Bible, so to speak. When my husband and I were becoming new parents, we kind of talked about what the kind of parent we wanted to be. And we wanted to be able to have children who were independent and strong-willed and knew how to deal with expectations and things like that. So I often tell my clients, every child is different. And the way that you parent your children is different for each child. And you should really take cues from them and really learn your child instead of trying to put them in a box and really trying to understand their attitude and their emotions and their feelings and the kind of kid that they are, because no two kids are alike, right? When they have that understanding and really telling them that there's no wrong way to be a good parent, just as long as you're doing it in a loving and caring and responsible way. Learn your child. That's a really interesting concept. Let's dig into that a little bit more. A big factor in parenting is just understanding your kid. But it's pretty hard to do that sometimes. You know, you're new, they're new. How would you advise parents to learn their child? What do you want them to look for and understand about kids? I have two kids. And so when I had my first one, it was like, okay, the baby comes out and now you have to learn, you know, all the different cries and the things they like and the things they don't like and all that kind of stuff. And then when the second or third or however many more come along, you realize that, oh my gosh, these two kids are completely different. Mm -hmm. I mean, my two boys look identical. They're six years apart and they could not possibly be any different. And I look at them and I say, oh my gosh, this child, the older one, is more analytical and he's more cautious and he is definitely more aware of his surroundings. And the little one is a little bit like the Tasmanian devil. And he (laughs) likes to explore and touch things and he has no fear. And when you are aware of your children and the kind of people that they are going to grow up to be, then you should embrace that and nurture that. I like to nurture the analytical side of my older one and the exciting side of my little one because I think that that is where their creativity and their energy and their positivity lies. So I think taking your children as individuals, the way we take ourselves as individuals, and we highlight all the things that are special about us, is exactly how we should move on to parenting our kids. We should highlight what's special about them and really nurture that and give them all the tools that they need to bring that brightness out in them. The words that came to me, I was thinking about press reset, be open. 
with the new kid or the second kid, or if you're starting from scratch, the first kid, we really have to think about his parents pressing reset, being open and learning that kid. I love that. A big pivot point in parenting is how protective you are as a parent. Are you the kind of parent who works to prevent your kids from anything bad happening, you know, keep them out of trouble? Or are you the kind of let them fall down and get back up as the expression goes? Where do you fall on that continuum yourself as a parent? I am definitely a fall down and dust yourself off mother. Mm -hmm. I really feel like life experience is so vitally important in growing up. And it's actually one thing that I travel around and talk in schools about because I think education, super important. Kids have to go to school. They need to be educated. They need to learn all the things they need to learn. But life experience is just as important as academic education in my book. And I think that we're doing our children a disservice by not allowing them to experience things because we're afraid for them. Case in point, I remember when my little one was two and we were on the playground and he was on the monkey bars climbing around and jumping off and doing all the things. And there were two moms in the playground who made their kids wear helmets while they were, like, going down the slides because they didn't want them to get hurt. And I get it. I get that we all want to, like, wrap our kids up in bubble wrap and guard them against the world and all the evils that are out there. But doing that is really hindering the growth of your child. And if you start at a really early age, you're going to have teenagers who are – entitled and disrespectful and just feel like everything needs to be done for them. And that will lead into unproductive adults. Yeah, it's so true. And it's so hard. It's so <laughs> hard sometimes to back off and let it yep. happen. In some ways, you know, getting hurt on the playground. Okay, if you teeter on that unbalancy thing, you're probably going to fall off. In so many ways, gravity, that's an easy lesson. People get gravity pretty fast. But relationships and watching children, especially as they get older, oh, you may not want to break up with that person that way. You may not want to say that to that person that way. You may not want to do, you know, you yes. can't do all that stuff. Yes. And as you said, you can't wrap them in bubble wrap. But it's a tough one on an emotional level of course. for the parent. And I think a lot of it plays into the idea of mindfulness, right? Being mindful and teaching our children kindness and empathy and compassion and all the things that we want to teach them and want to bring out into the world for ourselves and really teaching them about the importance of words and what they mean and why they are so vitally important and that they can hurt somebody. So they really should think before they speak. And living by the golden rule and all of that kind of stuff absolutely plays a part in raising a kind and generous and whole human being. You think about you're having a baby. And when I was having a baby, I was like, I'm having a human being. And baby stage only lasts for a very, very short time. And so we have to think about that too when we bring our children into the world because they're not going to be children for longer than they're going to be adults. And so using things like positive mindset and affirmations and meditation and teaching them good eating habits and all kinds of things as they go along in their lives is really the way that we can help them be well-rounded and give them a little bit more independence in their lives because we have equipped them with all the tools that they need to do that. This also makes me think of mental development and emotional development. I can talk to even my youngest child like he's a 40-year-old, but he's only six. Right. And, you know, we're talking about all this complicated stuff. And it's easy to forget that his emotional development, he's six. That's where he really is. And even now my other kids are older, but 
when they were younger, it's not all in lockstep. It's not all in sync. And that too is when you talk about mindfulness and just being conscious of the way kids are. That's another one because you might want to talk to them, especially when they're younger, as though they're grownups. They seem like grownups. They just seem like smaller, smaller packages, you know, but they seem like grownups, but they're actually not. And they need to learn a lot of stuff that we as adults take for granted. That can be really challenging. Absolutely. Both of my kids are tall for their age. And so they are often looked at as older than they really are. I've had that problem since they were babies. My six-year-old looks like he's an eight-year-old and everyone's like, oh no, he's in second or third grade. I'm like, no, he's in first grade. (laughs) We're all guilty of it, right? It's like you're raising your kids. You know how smart they are. You know what they are capable of. You know what their needs are. You know their idiosyncrasies and all the things. And so you know how to speak to them usually. But when somebody else comes in and starts treating them a little bit older, you have to kind of remind yourself and them hey, let's take a step back and really communicate on a level that they can understand a little bit better. Let's talk about a really specific problem. When your kids pit parents against each other. Say you have a stay-at-home spouse and the other parent works all day and comes home and says, do whatever you want to the kids when he or she comes home. Now, your suggestion, which is an interesting one, is why not ask the not-at-home parent to try being a stay-at-home parent for a week Do people try that? Do they say you're crazy? And also what happens when they try it? I have had clients try that. And in the beginning, they think I'm crazy. And by the end of it, they are very thankful to their partner and to me for pointing out the differences in what it's like to actually be in it 24-7. There is no harder job on the planet than being a stay-at-home parent, period. Mm -hmm. I will say that until I am in the grave because... I work from home, so I'm the parent in my relationship where I do the pickups and the drop-offs and the soccer practices and all the things because my husband commutes back and forth to work, and he's not as available as I am. And that's how our dynamic works, and it works just fine. But there are a lot of people out there who really don't understand. Like, they get up in the morning, and they leave before the kids get up, and they get home just at dinner time. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in those 8 or 9 or 10 hours that they really don't see. And being a parent around on the weekends isn't the same as being a stay-at-home parent all the time. So learning what the schedule looks like and planning the schedule and making the lunches and schlepping the kid from this sport activity to this play date to this birthday party to and really knowing what it's like and then dealing with the tantrums in between and the I don't want to do this and the get off your video games and the arguments that you have with your kids every 37 seconds. It can be overwhelming for a parent who's not used to doing that. So I highly encourage parents to switch roles almost. Give the stay-at-home parent a break for a minute and do it for a few days and really see what it's like because it really is an eye-opener and it can be a game-changer for your relationship. Look, weekend dad or mom is way, way different than weekday dad or mom. We're getting into some gender role stuff here and I wanted to introduce a little research that I was reading about It's said that mothers invest a lot more of their identity in being mothers than dads do being dads. So maybe the moms are in it 100% or 110%, while the dads, they've got 60% of themselves in being a dad and the rest is worker Mm -hmm. or even less, depending on the dad. Do you think that's true? And how does that cause friction in a partnering parent relationship? Statistically, it probably is true. A lot of times you go into the parenting relationship with a lot of different ideas. 
they never pan out, right? It's like, oh, we're going to be this parent and we're going <laughs> right. to be that parent. We're going to do this right. and I'm going to be home all the time and I'm not going to. And then all of a sudden it's like life just kind of keeps going and now you have this other person in it. And for us in my house, I feel like if we didn't have each other's back all the time and present a united front to our kids as much as we can, the kids would push the limits. And I think that if you have a dad who's a little bit more of a pushover because he feels guilty about being at work all the time, that happens a lot with my clients. And really just checking yourself and saying, you know what, I have to live with this person for the rest of my life, meaning my partner. I don't have to live with my kids for the rest of my life. I probably should pick my partner and figure out how we're going to parent these kids in a positive, healthy, loving way. But I can't be the parent who is always the good cop as opposed to being the good cop or the bad cop. If you are coming from a place of inclusion and togetherness in your relationship as a parent with your partner and your co-parent, your spouse, whoever it is that you're parenting with, that will set the message and the tone for your kids as they're growing up. And they'll know that there's stuff they can't get away with and there's stuff that they, you know, sometimes they can. I mean, we're all human. If sometimes my husband's like, you're going to let them have yogurt 10 minutes before they go to bed. And I'm like, yeah, because you know what? I don't really feel like fighting with them right now. But Mm -hmm. there's other stuff that I definitely will draw the hard line with. Kids are scientists and their main research project is their parents. They're really studying those parents to see how they are with them and how they are together, how the parents relate to each other. And they're just imprinting that stuff. It, It may come about 20, 30 years later when they're parents, but all that stuff is getting put into the big thinking machine and the big feeling machine. And when you consider that, it really makes you want to think about gender roles, think about gender equity more, think about the messaging that you're giving just by what you're doing. They're sponges. That's for sure. Right. They're sponges. And also, they're learning a lot more by what we do, right, than what we say. It's the way we're behaving, especially when they're younger, because they don't have all the words. They're just taking it all in. They're like video cameras recording everything that we do. Probably one of the most annoying things a husband can say to a wife is, oh, I'll help with that. I'll help you. I'll help out by making lunch today. And usually that makes the partner explode because, hey, you're not helping. We're equals. We're in this together. It's not like you're going to put in a little donation here of your time. (laughs) We're trying for equal time. But this is the thing. There's no such thing as equal time or equal parenting. It's really about the value of the things you do and the perception of the other person. Like if I say, I'll make lunch and take them to school today and you get to sleep in, that's pretty high value. Yeah. And my wife and I last night, I was trying to trick her. I was saying, you know, Friday, it's your morning, isn't it? She said, no, it is not. (laughs) It is yours. I said, really? Yes. And you have to do everything. I said, what? I have to do everything? I have to get them up, help them get dressed, get the food in them, pack the lunch and get them to school? Yeah, you got to do all that. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, I guess you're right. So what I'm getting around to here is the idea of your spouse, husband, wife, spouse, partner, needs to value what you do. How do you do that? Is that just about having a real discussion between partners? And do people really have that discussion? And should they? Oh, they have it. I will use myself as an example. I would say probably five or six years ago, maybe six years ago now, I had two kids. My little one was just born. He was maybe six or seven months old. And I had gone back to work full time. And even though I was working mostly from home, I had two kids and one was going to school and there was a lot of stuff going on. And I felt like I needed to do all of it until one afternoon 
my older one was not behaving and my little one was crying and it was just like an overwhelming scene. And my husband walked in the door and he had come home from work and I had not finished making dinner. And he didn't even like it wasn't even like what's for dinner, what's going on. I was like, I need some help, everybody. Hmm. And I didn't really know how to ask for it before. And my husband literally was like, just tell me what you need me to do. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I don't need you laying, laying on the floor crying. I need everybody to be happy. So let's figure out how to make everybody happy. And it really did turn into a conversation about my expectation was I felt like I had to do all the things. And my husband was like, that's not my expectation. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I just need you to tell me what it is because men and women are wired very differently. Right. For me, I would just walk in a room and be like, okay, this needs to be done. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. My husband would walk in the room and be like, oh, look, there's a comic book I can read and not see all the other things that need to be done. And that's fine, right? I mean, I think a lot of people are like that. There's no dig on him at all. He just needs to know. So it's like your job is to take out the garbage and to help clear the dishes and to help put the baby to bed and do all the things. And once they have that list or that understanding that pitching in, it isn't about I do this list, you do that list. It really is about, oh, let me pay attention to what happens because I will take the garbage out and he will make the dinner sometimes. It really is about... Being aware of what your significant other is doing in this relationship. Even trickier is this kind of 24-7 work schedule that everybody's on, pretty much mm -hmm. whether they work at home or whether they work in an office. Last night, both my wife and I were working on stuff with our computers, and we finished up, and I made dinner, and I looked over and saw I just left the entire kitchen a mess, everything. And it was my morning to get up. And I said, you know, I'm just going to pretend we had a really big party last night and it was really great. And I'll clean up in the morning. But I still had to do it. You know, I couldn't beg off. Right. And that becomes harder because I often have this push pull where, oh, I better leave work early because I have to go make dinner or do something at home. And yet that means I won't finish my work. So I go back to work at night. Everyone faces that. I haven't come up with a solution yet. I don't have it either. I wish I did. <laughs> right. Parents over 40 come with experience, which we might also call baggage. So how do we encourage the older parent to continue to be a lifelong learner about parenting and just not think they know it all? It's It gets back to that kind of press reset, learn your child, be open. Don't assume that you're going into this with a whole bunch of knowledge, which is really more like baggage. Yeah, that's a good word, baggage. With age comes wisdom and experience. And a lot of times I can stand on the playground as a 40-something-year-old mom with my six-year-old and watch a 20-something-year-old mom with her five-year-old, and we are definitely doing it differently. And that doesn't mean we're doing it wrong, right? Especially these days, our kids are extremely scheduled, and they're very stimulated is the word I think I want to mm, use, right? right? Our kids are overstimulated all the time by all the things that they see. There's technology and there's TVs and there are video games and there's YouTube and there's iPads and then there's life that's going on around them. And I live in New York City, so there's a lot of stimulation that happens here all the time. And I really feel like becoming a parent at an older age allows you to really think about the life that you've already had and the way you were parented. Right. I was parented very differently 40 years ago than the way I'm parenting my children. And that'll be the same thing for my kids in 40 years. Mm -hmm. But I think taking the best pieces of the way you were parented and kind of putting your spin on it or your glitter all over it and really giving that to your children is really what is going to make them 
thrive. So give them their space to think and learn and fall and get down and help them be conscious. And especially in today's society, right, we need to be more aware of like what's going on. Like you said, gender roles and just ethnically and race related. And there's all, there's so much stuff that we didn't talk about when I'm sure you and I were kids that we're talking about with our children now. Right. And I think just being mindful of the way you're treating your relationship with your partner, because our kids, like we said before, are sponges and they're watching every move. So keeping the arguments to a minimum or behind the door so they're not seeing mistreatment or bad words or any of that stuff happening, but really just trying to teach them about real life and move forward through that with them in the best way that you know how. There's an old expression that marriage means you learn how to make your arguments more efficient and shorter. (laughs) It's kind of true. There's an important point here in everything that you said, the assumptions that we can, as parents now, assume as much as maybe our parents did. Our parents might have said, mom does this and dad does this and this is going to happen now and then you go to law school. and It's not happening like that anymore. You know, people... They may not even have the same job for more than a year. Our kids may be growing up in a world where they could have a different job every couple of months or do something completely different than what we might have thought of. The the idea of career, gender roles, where you live, how you live, it's all up in the air. It's all up for grabs now. So it really comes down to that idea of kind of press restart for me. We should put in a few good words for the older parents now. I don't want to feel like we're trashing them. There is a lot of research that shows that the older parent is less likely to melt down, has more stability in his or her relationships, generally has more money, is generally a little less stressed. And kids who are being raised by older parents tend to be, there's some research that says they're actually smarter. I don't know if that's true, but there's more stability in the older parent household, especially the older mom. So I just want to get that in for the older parents who think, hey, wait a minute, (laughs) we're just chipping away. We're not. No, there's there's a lot of good things about being an older parent. Oh, totally. I think there's a lot to be said for that. We consciously made a decision not to have kids into our 30s because of that. I said to somebody the other day, in fact, we met at this networking event and she's been married for a year and a half and they're talking about having a baby. And she's like, it just doesn't feel like the right time because we just, I don't know that we have enough money. We have enough. And I looked at her and I said, it is never the right time for anything. <laughs> it's true. It really isn't. It's never the right time to get married. It's never the right time to have a baby. It's never the right time to buy a house. It's never the right time to anything. If you live your life by it's never the right time, you're never going to do any of it. Exactly. So the question is, do you want that baby? And she was like, I want to be a mother more than anything else in the world. I'm like, well, then go have a baby because. It's never the right time. Let's talk about other parents. Parents are always measuring themselves against each other. And it takes courage to say or at least think, I'm not going to parent the way you parent because that doesn't work for me. How can we encourage parents to summon that kind of independence? This is a good one because I was also recently having a conversation with somebody. They asked me what my least favorite thing about being a parent is. And I said, other parents who are judgy. I can't stand judgy moms. You go to the mom groups or the mom blogs and it's like everyone's judging each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm mad at you because you chose not to breastfeed for a full two years or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, dear God, it's hard (laughs) enough to do this the way I'm doing it. Why are you making it harder? And I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves to be the perfect parent, the perfect wife, the perfect all the things. And one of my least favorite words on the planet is perfect because nothing in life is perfect. 
We have to like remove judgment. You don't know what somebody else is going through in their life. Unless you've walked in their shoes, you're never going to know what they're going through. So for me, it's more about being compassionate and understanding. I mean, if someone's doing something that I've never seen or I've never heard of, then be inquisitive about it and be like, oh, let me learn more about this so I can be better educated and I can learn something instead of being so competitive around it. My older son is in the eighth grade, and we've got a lot of friends who are on competitive sports teams and, and that kind of thing, and he happens to be a gifted athlete. My husband and I have not gone to the place where it's like, okay, we're going to put him in like all the super expensive things because we're going to expect him to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo because he's such a great soccer player. It's like, just let him be a kid. And if he's called by the universe to be the next Derek Jeter or whoever, then that's what his path is going to be. It's not because I decided to spend $50,000 on his skill. I'm going back to doing our kids a disservice, but it's like, stop living vicariously through your children and allow them to live their lives for themselves. It's a difficult decision for so many parents. Do I push my kid into doing something or do I wait and see what they like to do? Sometimes I think it's, totally viable to encourage, especially if it's physical activity. If you have a kid who's a bit of a couch potato, encouraging to get out and do something is great. But a lot of times, you know, if you ask someone like Michael Jordan or Mm -hmm. Novak Djokovic or anybody like that, did your parents have to push you into playing basketball or tennis? The answer, of course, is going to be no. I was out there till midnight practicing because I loved it. There was a lot of emotion usually. I know that with Djokovic, he cried a lot and was pissed off at the way he was playing. And we've seen grown-up tennis players get really angry at the way they play. It's part of his process in some ways. Mm -hmm. But kids usually will show you, if you're listening and watching, what they really want to do. And then you can step in and help them out with that. My older one, when he was a child, he came out of the womb and he was like banging on things. So we were like, he's going to be a drummer. So he wanted to play the drums. We gave him drum lessons. And when he was, I don't know, he did it from the time he was, I think, five until 11. And last year he was like, I think I'm done with the drums. And my husband was like, wait, what What are you talking about? And he was like, I don't think I want to play it. Like, I think I want to do something else. And for as much as it was like, oh, you're killing me, it really was. He has to be able to make this decision for himself. He's done it for a few years. He's got the fundamentals. If he wants to pick it back up, he can. But I'm not pushing him to do something he doesn't want to do. It's the old sunk costs argument that startup (laughs) entrepreneurs make. You know, you've got all these sunk costs and music equipment and stuff. Then you have to decide, well, okay, what's next? But, you know, they are exploring. They're young. You know, that's their job. If we're going to leave our listeners today with one great nugget, something that you've found yourself saying to a lot of clients or that a lot of people need, what would that be? I say this to my kids every day and I tell my clients to say this to their kids every day because I think it's important. I am good friends with somebody who lost her son about a year and a half ago. And her son was 20-something years old when it happened and it was a terrible accident. But when I was pregnant with my second child, we were having conversations about what do you do? And I kind of, she was kind of like a little bit of a parenting mentor for me. And she said, I tell my kids to make good choices every day. And that's the one thing I say. And so I've taken that and expanded on it. And so every day I tell my kids to be happy, to make good choices, and that I love them. If you instill those three, just three small things into your kids every single day, the world is going to see more love and more kindness and more compassion just because those three things are ingrained in them from birth, basically. I think my message here is you're doing a great job. 
and just keep doing what you're doing as long as you're doing it from a place of love and heart-centeredness and really take the time to make sure that you're telling your kids to be happy and to make good choices and that you love them because they need to hear those words the most. Krista, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You can find Krista online at whyamiyelling.com, on Instagram at instagram.com, whyamiyelling, and on Facebook at, you guessed it, facebook.com, whyamiyelling. So all you have to remember is why am I yelling? She has a book coming out, so join her mailing list to get notified about that. Look for show notes about this episode at goingbabycrazy.live. I will also post a transcript of the show and some key takeaways right there online, so check out goingbabycrazy.live. A lot of people get the show on iTunes, and if that's you, don't forget to rate us and post a comment. When you do that, it helps us reach more listeners. And by the way, I'd love to hear from you directly. The listener feedback line is 424-265-1634. Just dial that up and leave your comments about the show. You can also listen to the show on Simplecast, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. I'm Lee Schneider. Music for Baby Crazy was composed by Tom Disher. Episodes edited by Lee Schneider and Kay Vermeule. Baby Crazy is a production of Red Cup Agency. Hey, it's Lee Schneider, a co-founder of the FutureX Podcast Network. Have you heard of Good Pods yet? It's a new app where you can follow your friends and influencers to see what podcasts they're listening to. So for all of you who spend too much time scrolling around, trying to figure out where is that great new show, this will solve your problems. Just download Good Pods from the App Store, pick some people to follow, and invite your friends. And you'll never be without a podcast recommendation again.